As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest edition of The Audible. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, we had a wild weekend of games. It is good to be on with you as we're taping Monday morning. Uh, did you finally get home yet? Well, I got home uh, earlier on Monday morning, if you count 1.30 a.m., it was uh, the theme of my weekend was delays. The game, the Ohio State Oklahoma game, was delayed an hour and a half by weather. Which, by the way, for about 20 minutes there, it was quite frightening to watch the lightning uh, come that close to the stadium. So that made for a late night. And then my flight back, I missed the connect, got delayed, missed the connection, spent three and a half hours at LAX, et cetera, et cetera. People don't have much sympathy for that. I got to watch a great, or at least go to a great atmosphere for college football. The game itself, obviously kind of lopsided. But I'm also interested to hear from you, you know, this weather delay didn't impact me nearly as much as it impacted you. Yeah, it was an interesting Saturday. So most, almost every week this season, I'm going to be out at games doing sideline. But last weekend, my crew was off. They had me come in because uh, with our main studio crew, the liner, uh, Rob Stone, Wanstead, Robert Smith gang, they were in Norman with you. And so I was going to do pregame and, or postgame and halftime for the FS1 game, which was early in the day, which was TCU and Iowa State. And there was a couple of regional games we did. It was myself and Mike Hill. So they were like, hey, just hang around just in case. You know, there, there could be some bad weather in Norman. You never know. Probably be nothing. And so I'm just, you know, I was going to be around watching games all day. So literally I'm hanging out with like Eric Karros, one of the baseball analysts, just watching games. Uh, you know, while he was doing his thing earlier in the day, your idol Pete Rose was there, you know, so it's, it's just you're kind of your vintage, you know, odd Fox atmosphere. And um, somebody emailed me, said, hey, you better get ready because there is really bad weather there and you guys could be on the air in like 10 minutes. And I was like, hmm, this this could be interesting. So so uh, we're scrambling. They're moving like literally they had to pick up. There's a. You know, in one of those big studios, they have like those rugs. It's like a real football, looks like a real football field or it looks like a real baseball diamond. So they had to move the baseball diamond out, you know, change all the stuff out. And in came myself and Mike Hill. And it was on the fly TV for about 90 minutes. And it was it was it was an adrenaline rush. I got to be honest. I mean, it was, you know, I hadn't I did a lot of that when I was at CBS Sports Network, but it wasn't completely unscripted like this is and it was just very different you know and the way it was I mean I'm texting guys I know on the Oklahoma staff to find out okay what are you guys doing in this delay you know how are you preparing how is what's what are you supposed to do so you know we had Mike Pereira on who you know he's by far the best at what he does in the business I mean I I was thinking about this after working with him this weekend I think Pereira is so much better at what he does than anybody else is it's a wider gap with him than than anybody else I know in college football compared to what you know their counterparts do. And he was invaluable. He explained why the delay was going to be such, the rules behind it, the rationale to it. And um, 
you know, we were off and running. And he also came in handy when we had the situation in the Oklahoma-Ohio State game, which would eventually be repeated in the Texas-Cal game. And I don't know why this is such an epidemic of guys dropping the ball before they get in the end zone on longer turns. And, of course, he was able to explain uh, very quickly, and you got it up on, on social media, you know, why, what would have happened, what was supposed to happen there, which is, um, you know, and obviously didn't end up impacting the game, but that Oklahoma should have had the ball at the one. The stranger thing to me was the Texas Cal game. Um, a, I did not realize, I, you tell me, had you ever heard of the of, of a situation where a fumble was determined by how quickly the team recovered it or not? Well, that was the thing what I asked Mike about was, so how do the officials handle it? And he said, you know, if the ball isn't, isn't recovered, no one recovers it. It's basically the ball is whistled dead where it is. And, you know, part of also what we talked about was how did the officials miss it in the Oklahoma game? He goes, he goes you got to understand where they are positioning wise and their depth perception on it. But um, you're right. It, it's mind boggling to see, you know, it, what happened with Deshaun Watson, you know, 15 years ago in the Army All-America game. And it just Deshaun keeps Jackson. happening. Yeah, what did yeah, I say? Deshaun Watson. Oh, sorry, Deshaun. You were probably like three years old at the time. So, uh, yeah, Deshaun Jackson. It wasn't quite 15 years ago. I was at that game. It was probably 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah. And yeah, I remember at the time it seemed so outrageous. They, oh, my gosh, he dropped the – Well, he did a backflip. I mean, we were yeah. both at the game. He did like a, or a forward flip from like the four-yard line, and it was a little different too. Right. No, this is three times in two weeks that we know of. I mean, it could have happened at lower-profile games too. I saw that Sonny Dykes uh, said that now he has a new rule. The team will have a new rule that they will hand the ball to the ref uh, when they score a touchdown, which is a, a good idea. Um, but getting to the bigger picture a little bit, obviously we both picked Oklahoma to beat Ohio State, and it's funny how after the fact you can look back and say, what was I thinking? But you know, remember, going into this game, you're going on – there are two, still two assumptions that are perfectly reasonable at that time. A – Ohio State is so inexperienced, how are they going to handle that road atmosphere? And B, we're still thinking of Oklahoma as, even though they lost to Houston, you know, a pretty good team that returned a lot of key players from a team that went to the playoff last year. I'm curious, was that night more a reflection of just how loaded Ohio State is and that no matter how many guys go to the NFL, it's just not going to affect them that much? Or, and this was uh, Oklahoman, uh, you know, the most prominent Oklahoma columnist, Barry Trammell, wrote this, that last year was a, a mirage, that, that Oklahoma was never quite as good as top four in the country. They play, they're fortunate to play TCU without Trevon Boykin, Baylor without Seth Russell. I believe um, Mason Rudolph got hurt, didn't he, in the Bedlam game. Mm -hmm. But when they actually play Deshaun Watson... Uh, Greg Ward, JT Barrett, their defense just gets completely exposed. You know, I think there's something to that. I, I think that they don't seem like they just have as many players or they just seem like they're a little lost on defense. You know, I don't think it's an offense issue. I think it's a defense issue with them because that's what it's been. Uh, the second half last, you know, I was obviously at the the Clemson game. You know, they were they were – toe to toe with Clemson in the second half they just kind of just got over overtaken and I felt like this game never felt like it was that close you know I felt like Ohio State was was clearly the better team and the gap to me surprised me how much it was I thought that Oklahoma would have problems on defense but I didn't think it would be this glaring you know I mean Noah Brown's first four catches all went for touchdowns I mean I, I don't know do you think Going forward, do you think Ohio State is really this good, or is it a function of maybe Oklahoma isn't even a top fifteen team at the end of the year? Well, the first, the what you just said is I don't think Oklahoma will be a top fifteen team at the end of the year. They already have two losses. There's no way they're going to turn around and and you know run the table in the Big Twelve as down. And as even the Big if they is. do, Stu, even if they do. I don't think it's going to matter because everyone's going to write off the Big 12 because their chances to prove themselves are out the window. We no, just saw. Yeah, no, I, they wouldn't make the playoff, but you just said top 15. That would require losing at least one, if not two more games. Yeah, I mean, again, looking at it, I would say objectively, they just, they just 
didn't look like or they were uh, the same caliber as Ohio State. And whether you know Ohio State still had a lot of inexperienced guys making their first big road trip. I mean, I have a give a ton of credit to Urban Meyer and his staff for how prepared they were for that. It's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to have focused talent and preparation. And they had all that, especially with a, you know, there's a curveball environment with, you know, a, a delay of an hour and a half. That's not, you know, that's not something you can necessarily be, be wired for. And they handled it all really, really well. Yeah. I mean, I, I was down there early uh, before the game when they came out for warmups, they looked completely businesslike. They they talked completely business like afterward, like this is just what you do when you play at Ohio State. It was pretty apparent early on. So we've been hearing this for a while, but it was fully on you know demonstrated the other night. That I think Ohio State's got to be the fastest team in the just overall team speed. They've got it, and from an early uh, stage in the game, you could just see you know there was one play where Curtis Samuel ran around and and you just you know, he's just faster than them. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that fit that description for Ohio State. You know, the, the touchdowns to Noah Brown weren't necessarily about guys getting uh, burned, just like perfect placement by JT Barrett in the end zone. Um, and in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the fact that they've been able to do this despite losing so many players, I mean, I thought that the, the little nugget uh, Coach Wanstead gave us last week was interesting about him naming the captains after last season. I don't think that's the, you know, the primary reason, but it may be, you know, I'm used to Urban Meyer teams, and this is why I, I kind of predicted it would start out slow. A lot of his national championship teams were, did not look like national championship teams early in the season. They often were still trying to figure out their identity. Ohio State's identity for this team has been, been it seems like it was entrenched in week one, you know. They're going to use uh, Samuel and Weber. They're going to, you know, the defense just keeps intercepting passes, pick sixes. You know, this team looks like midseason form early in the season and certainly capable of winning the national title or at least contending for the national title. Oklahoma is just, you know, they're still recruiting top 15 classes. They're still a, a good team. They are no longer, you know, they're no longer in that class with the Alabamas and Ohio States. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. So what do you think has to change for them? Is this a Bob Stoops needs, you know, like, how do you get rid of Bob Stoops? I don't see that. Is it more on Mike? What what changes for them? I do I do think Mike is the probably the culprit. I don't know how you fire your brother. I think that would have to, you know, Mike would have to maybe take one for the team there. Nobody should be trying to fire Bob Stoops. They were just no, in the, we're I talking agree. about a team that was just in the playoff last year, whether or not. They caught some breaks. We're also talking about a conference where I find it hard to believe that Oklahoma under Stoops will ever be a, a 500 type team, just because they're they're you know talent wise they're always going to go in better than anybody but Texas. And just look at his track record; they win the Big 12 about every other year. So I'm not saying the program's in shambles by any means, but you know there was a time when he was playing in the national title game frequently. And I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, that there, they'd be the preseason number one team. I just don't think they're quite in that tier. They're maybe one tier below that now. Before we get on to what I think was the biggest story of the day, uh, while we're talking in shambles, the Big 12 certainly looks like it is right now. I mean, the only ones who are undefeated left are West Virginia and Baylor. And I've seen both teams in person. Neither team has played anybody very good uh west virginia beat mizzou but you know mizzou i you know i think they're just a probably probably should have beaten georgia the other night what's that probably should have beaten georgia probably should have beaten georgia and i think they'll get better on offense continue to get better but again you know we haven't learned really anything about either one of those teams yet texas on the other hand i know you didn't get a chance to see much of this game but texas went to cal and the game was way late for you know by their own body clocks times i think it was going on at like you know 1 p.m central still or 1 a.m central but uh davis webb cut apart the ut defense i mean it was just it, one big play after another the, texas could not figure out how to deal with chad hansen that's the former walk-on receiver who was emerging as a star for the Golden Bears and for the Bears. And I think, um, you know, Charlie Strong's comments on Monday morning gave the vibe. His quote was, each coach will be evaluated and we'll see where we go from there. 
What I would read between the lines on that is Vance Bedford, the defensive coordinator, he's going to probably get, be getting a lot more attention, and Charlie Strong will probably be a lot more involved in the defensive side of the ball going forward after that. I don't know how anybody who watched the Notre Dame-Texas game would have expected that game to go much differently. I mean, the, the takeaway from the Notre Dame-Texas game and all the excitement about it was that Texas finally has an offense. Mm-hmm. But you didn't come away from it thinking they also have a dominant defense. And they're going to the West Coast to play a Cal team that pretty much is the same formula. Can, can score at will, can't stop anybody. And so the game played out about what I would have expected. I did pick Texas to win, but I knew it would be very high scoring. I don't think that's uh, – if he's pressing the panic button after one loss, that's not a good idea because you already went through that last year on the offensive staff, on the offensive side. There's been constant turnover, actually, with his offensive coordinators. You know, it's one game. Just just dig in. You know, you know you've got young talent on that side of the ball, but it's unrealistic to think that that would be a, a dominant unit yet. They're just too young. Now – you're playing in a conference with a lot of high-scoring offenses, and I think they're going to get into a lot of shootouts like that. But the good news is Shane Bouchelle, all those receivers, they should be able to – you know, they couldn't win a shootout in the last couple of years. They had to they had to get it ugly. Um, they can win these kind of games now. Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me, and I have a lot of respect for Charlie Strong, but what surprised me about this on Monday – is that he he's talked about it openly and in, in public the way he has. It's one thing to you know make some tweaks behind behind the scenes where you kind of leave it to you know for people to try to you know see if they can figure it out reporter wise or whatever. But this when you say it publicly, I th- especially when it's a coach, I don't want to put Charlie Strong back like all of a sudden you know if he loses the next game they're going to pull the plug on him. I think there's some places around that around the country that are getting to that point. I don't think Texas is. You know, we just had all this, you know, good momentum for him. I don't think one loss chases it away, even if people, you know, don't think that much of Cal. Um, you know, in a way, I feel like Cal looks like a Big 12 team right now, uh, as you as you alluded to. But to say it publicly, I think, is a very curious move for Charlie Strong. And I'm going to see how the players respond and how his staff responds. Because like you said, he you know, he went down this road on the offensive side of the ball last year and it didn't go well. And if this is a panic move and it creates more panic and the players don't respond well to it, uh, that's that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out this year. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the tweets of his comments now this is from his Monday press conference. He's criticizing the officials pretty uh, candidly. I don't I mean, his assistants pretty candidly. I, that's never a great idea. You know, Brian Kelly's going through a, a, th- a similar thing with Brian Van Gorder, and he keeps defending him, even though it seems plainly obvious that he, I mean, if you had to bet right now whether Brian Van Gorder will be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator next season, I, I wouldn't put good odds on that. He, um, His side of the ball is clearly, uh, you know, has been struggling for, for a couple of years now. Um, but I, I just think that's tough when they're put in a position third week of the season about, you know, getting questions about whether you're going to fire one of your coordinators. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if you have a chance to redo your pick for the big 12, who's your, who, who do you think is going to emerge from this? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question because forget that everybody's talking about, are they going to, you know, are they eliminated from the playoff? Let's just not even think about that. And let's just think about, okay, there's still going to be a big 12 champion. And who is that going to be? Are you still riding Oklahoma even after these two losses? You know, you're saying, well, those were two really good teams they played, and, and uh, you know, ultimately they'll turn around and win the conference. I'll t- I've watched quite a bit of Baylor. Uh, I don't think they have, have it on offense this year. I don't think um, this is the same fearsome offense that it was under Art Bryles. I, don't, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've seen them in person. I watched the, other, the game the other night as well. I think this is still like probably a nine-win team, which is what I thought going in. I think the difference is Oklahoma is not as good as everybody – you know, a lot of us thought they were going to be. I'm not saying everybody thought, but um, I think TCU's defense. You know, I think he'll it'll get better. I think he'll turn that around. But now Cavante Turpin, they're all everything, all-purpose guy. It looks like he'll be out for a while. So who's left? Um, I'll, I'll throw out a couple maybe scenarios people aren't thinking of. One, everybody wanted to jump off the Oklahoma State bandwagon after Central Michigan, um, but they had a nice win over Pitt this past weekend. I would say they're still in the mix. 
And what if your guy, Bill Snyder, what is this one of these years where he pulls a fast one? Because it's hey, not they, like they got they blown off Stanford, the field against Stanford. They give Stanford all they could handle. It well, wasn't I wouldn't McCaffrey. go quite that far, but they didn't get yeah. – it wasn't a McC- – You know what? Back. They did really well on defense. McCaffrey busted one, like, 45-yard run in the second half. Otherwise, I thought, you know, the problem with them is their offense needs to get way better. It just – you can't – you can't just kind of they, – they need Byron Pringle to step up. They need – the quarterback play to to they just don't have anything to hang their hat on right now on offense. Unfortunately for them, I think what about I'll West Virginia? Down with the, uh, yeah, West Virginia. You know, you saw them week one. Uh, you know, to this point, they have not been a top tier Big Twelve team. But is this the year they make a move? They have a chance. I mean, they're really banged up on defense, but you know, Skylar Howard. He's not Pat Mahomes talent wise, but he's a he, you can win with him. They have good receivers. They have really good skill talent. This is the best offensive line Dana Holgerson has said he's ever had. The problem is he lost you know a future possible NFL first round tackle in the opener. Yadney could just so that that hurt. But you know what? Maybe so. I mean, he's a guy who's definitely on the hot seat. You know, it could be the point where Dana wins enough where he may be able to get a better job. Who knows? We'll see. That's a lot of interesting stuff in the Big 12, but we've talked about it plenty. Okay, Bruce, we'll get back to the podcast in a second. But first, a word from our wonderful sponsors. And the first one is Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the Audible. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all of the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? We know Bruce does. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash audible. Stu, I know how big of a seat geek fan you are. You have it on your phone. I do. it, It enabled you to go to the Wiz Khalifa show a couple of weeks ago. So I am going to extol the virtues because I know it's made your life a better place. I'll tell you what, uh, our friend Lindsay Schnell was in town this weekend, but I wasn't. And she was here for the Beyonce concert at Levi Stadium. I, and she said she was in the 11th row. She must have had SeatGeek help her out. I hope she used SeatGeek, especially since I think SeatGeek sponsors their podcast too. Yes. Uh, and since they're colleagues of ours, maybe we should give their podcast a shout out. The Campus Rush Podcast, Lindsay Schnell and Andy Staples, definitely. I mean, if you're listening to this, you like college football podcasts, so you should listen to theirs as well. Yes. It's, it is a, a, they're not asking us to do this. It is a really good podcast. Uh, our friend Lindsay's terrific. She sounds like she should be on the air, and she is. She has a great voice for, like, if she ever wanted to do NPR, like that like kind of mellow radio voice. Mm, perfect. She sounds very responsible and she sounds like a grown up, which is, I can't say a lot for, I can't say that for most of the people I know who cover college football. Right. All right. So back to SeatGeek. Uh, with SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek prices compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can be very depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always do find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, Stu, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate on their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 back on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code AUDIBLE, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy to do. Go do it. All right. Back to the podcast. Why don't we go back to what I think was the biggest story of Saturday, and that was Louisville and the absolute ass-kicking they, they put on FSU. 
I mean, I can't believe we made it this far without talking about them. Well, we're talking now. So. Okay. Um, I, that's just stunning. It's, it's one, you know, Louisville winning, beating Florida State, okay, totally imaginable. Utter domination on all three phases of the game. Um, could not have seen that coming. I, I can't even think of, I was trying to think of a scenario, of a previous game where, because we're talking about Florida State here. We're talking about one of the premier programs in the country. Forget, you know, maybe they'll turn out this will not be a great year. The Derwin James injury is too much. I don't know. But in the end of the day, the, the, that's a really legitimate opponent you're playing. Um, and they're ranked number two in the country. That big a blowout, you know, people brought up the, uh, and I was at this, 2008 Texas Tech rose to number two. I was uh, at the game you're talking about, too. Yeah. And Oklahoma won. I want to say like 62-28, you know, to make mm-hmm. their case for why they should win that tiebreaker. But there was still pretty plenty of skepticism about Texas Tech. It's not like they were, uh, you know, two years removed or three years removed from winning the national title. Uh, this was just, just absolutely stunning. Yeah, I, I mean, I did a story on Sunday about, you know, as great as Lamar Jackson was, it was also the thing that was eye-opening to me was, how much Todd Grantham's defense absolutely dominated FSU. Dalvin Cook got nothing going. Uh, they made DeAndre Francois look like a freshman quarterback, which he is. But, it, I mean, he did not look like he was ready for what they had to throw at him. You know, they sacked him five times. And they held FSU to 10 points pretty much for the whole game. That Until there was, you know, five and a half minutes left in the game. And they're up by, I don't know, 53 points. I mean, that's crazy how what a dominant. I mean, it wasn't even close. You know, what Grantham told me, and he pointed out, they had actually held FSU to 13 total points in the first half the last two years combined. He was like, we got to finish the deal. We, that's, the, that's it for us. That was kind of the mantra. And he said their players bought in and they have good leadership. He mentioned D'Angelo Brown, who's their big defensive tackle. Uh, Keith Kelsey's a really, you know, the guy, the quarterback of their defense. Those guys stepped up. I mean, you were down there uh, in in August, right? I mean, did you see did you see the caliber athletes on defense that could be a you know a top ten defense? It was hard to say because the offense was having so much success in practice. Lamar Jackson, in particular, you just didn't know. You didn't know necessarily what they had. Now, let's not. Um, you know, let's not give them the short shrift. They've produced a, quite a few elite defensive players over the last few years. I mean, Charlie Strong um, got it going, and Grantham's continued it. Sheldon Rankins, you know, that was a big question, how are they going to replace him? So, you know, they won that matchup, and that's surprising to me. But the thing that was most surprising is that Louisville's offensive line, which was their big question coming into the season, which what frankly wasn't very good last year, dominated – a Florida State defensive line with Demarcus Walker and, and many other, you know, future pros just dominated them. And and now you wonder, like, what what is the ceiling on this Louisville offense? Because I've always thought Bobby Petrino, you know, top five offensive coach in college football, great play caller, has done this many times. But, you know, this is a great experiment where he's kind of marrying his offense, which traditionally is more of a pro style, with – you know, a new age quarterback in Lamar Jackson, you know, Pat Forty, our friend at Yahoo, who lives in Louisville and has covered that program for a long time, you know, basically wrote that this is this is what Petrino thought he was going to be doing in the NFL when he took the Falcons job. And then Michael Vick um, got in his, his dog trouble and he never got to coach him. You know, this is what he's wanted. And in fact, I asked him, he, he, he kind of downplayed it when I asked him when I was there in August about, you know, it seems like Lamar Jackson, much different style quarterback than he usually coaches. And he brought up, here's a name from the past so you'll remember, Stefan LaFleurs. Um, yeah. He he took objection to, to me saying this was his first dual threat quarterback. He said, well, they didn't use the term back then. But yeah, Stefan LaFleurs could run. Well, I'm sorry. He couldn't run like Lamar Jackson. And Florida State defense looked completely helpless. Um which just makes it all the more exciting that they're going to play at Clemson in two weeks. Well, yeah. You know, like when Michael Vick had tweeted this out, that after the game he said, Lamar Jackson's five times the player I was. In college. Yeah. 
I, that's flattering. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if he's, you, you see, we both covered Michael Vick. Um, I think it's too soon to say that. It, it's clearly too soon to say that, but I also say that it's been 16 years since Michael Vick was in college. I mean, the game has changed a lot. He at that time was revolutionary. Oh my gosh, a, a fast a quarterback who's fast and can actually throw. You know, that you know was what he pretty got- new back then. Now we've seen a whole a generation of those guys, but I don't know that we've seen one that. I don't know that we've seen, you know, lots of dual threat guys. I don't know that we've seen somebody who quite has the wheels that Jackson has and a great arm. I don't know if I would. I I would disagree with that. I mean, Cam Newton is it was off the charts compared to what Cam Cam Newton Newton is is great. But is he would you if you were, you know. Stop, yeah. still. Stop. No, 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 I'm not. Cam Newton is 6'6", 250. No, don't. run away from guys and run them over. You think I'm going to try to say Lamar Jackson is better than Cam Newton? I'm not even going to try to go there. I'm saying he was a very powerful runner. He could, he was elusive for sure. I just think Lamar Jackson's like Michael Vick's the fastest quarterback I've ever seen, and I think Lamar Jackson, at least among the most prominent, might be the fastest since then. I don't know RG three could really run too. I mean, he's like yeah, he's true. a world class hurdler. Uh, again, I, Cam Newton to me was a was off the charts because he was so friggin' big. And and just and he dominated the SEC. You know, I'm not saying like we got to see it more for Lamar. Um, you know, he's not. You know, we're gonna see how he holds up, and you know, if they run him a bunch. The one difference that I would put where the the Michael Vick thing that you know I thought about it after on Saturday a little bit. The one big advantage for Lamar versus Michael Vick. I hope Ricky Bustle does not listen to this podcast, but. <laughs> The the coaching that Lamar Jackson is getting on offense, I think, is at another another level compared to what Michael Vick had at Virginia Tech. Certainly, certainly, um, and that's what makes it. That's why it's going to be fun to watch his evolution and continued evolution as a quarterback. I was surprised. I was with some writers uh, watching that game before we went over to the stadium for Oklahoma game, and I was surprised that the list of quarterbacks who have thrown for three thousand and rushed for one thousand, which seems obviously very attainable for him, is pretty small. Tebow never did it. Uh, some other guy, you know, who else I have? Brad Smith never did it, uh, never came close. I think it's five players who have ever done that. And, you know, you look at the numbers he's putting up, and, you, and it almost seems like that's just that's the baseline. That, that he'll easily break that. Well, so we got Deshaun Watson. Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Johnny. Mm-hmm. Who are the other two? I guess I should not give Johnny the short. You know, he 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 could run. I mean, his when he got out in the open field, his breakaway speed was pretty unbelievable. Hey, since since we got on Johnny for two seconds, so I had tweeted something the other day or, or said something. I don't even remember how it came out. Uh, that Pat Mahomes is looks like he's the most talented quarterback who's ever played in the air raid system. And the way I, the reason why I couched it was literally because of Tim Couch. Um, now Tim Couch is a good athlete. He could not. He's not as elusive as Pat Mahomes. Um, but you know, a Texas A&M fan goes, "What about Johnny?" And my response was, uh, "You know, Pat Mahomes is a lot bigger than Johnny, and he has a Johnny has a pretty strong arm. I don't think people gave him enough credit for that. But Pat Mahomes is a cannon. Now he hasn't done everything Johnny Manziel's done. He hasn't, you know, torn up the level of defenses that you know Nick Saban probably still has nightmares about Johnny Manziel." Uh, do you buy the statement I'm saying, or you just haven't seen enough from Mahomes yet? What you know, I saw, I saw a ridiculous clip the other night of Pat Mahomes throwing, you know, scrambling and throwing a pass that went way over the end zone, and it looked like somebody had you know edited it and pressed fast forward on it. it the velocity was just so ridiculous. I don't know what to make of. of let me just hold on a second. I have this research here. Jordan Lynch was a three thousand one thousand guy. Chandler Harnish was a three thousand one thousand mm-hmm. guy. I don't believe Mariota did it, and Mariota, by the way, would also go on that list of super fast guys who could throw. Yeah, thank um, you. I'm going to have to tamper down what I said about Lamar Jackson before. He is not the fastest since uh, Michael Victor have been several. But that's what we do. That's yeah. we we get sucked into hyperbole. You know, honestly, I'm glad you brought up Marcus Mariota's name. I completely blanked on him. Like, you know, I just. I knew he was a great player. I well, you from, know, I, I think it's a credit to Marcus Mariota that I don't. I almost. I just. I think the reason we blanked on him is you don't think of him. 
as dual. Th- you know, he was a fantastic passer. He was if he if he couldn't if he if he couldn't run at all, he still would have been an amazing quarterback. You know, I don't. The running was almost a bonus, but no, I mean, there's no question he he had legs for sure. Uh, to your point about Pat Mahomes, I don't know what to make of Pat Mahomes. I mean, if you were if you because people are saying he should be up for the Heisman. Well, if you were giving the Heisman for a guy who wins strongest arm competition, certainly he he would win that. But is he the numbers he puts up? I mean, you're always going to think in a system like that that they're, you know, that they're somewhat at least somewhat a product of that system. And also, you're not going to win the Heisman for a six and six kind of team, which is what Texas Tech could very easily be. You know, I, I who was your in your Heisman top five this week? Who was four and five for you? Um. I added Jabril Peppers to the mix this week. Yeah, he was my number four. So who's your other guy then? Greg Ward's on there. I, so let me just go from the top. So I'll, yeah, that's how I best remember it. Uh, Jackson, McCaffrey. Um, JT Barrett. Ward was three. Mm. Donnell Pumphrey. Jabril Peppers. You had no JT Barrett? No, because I'm not sure who should be Ohio State's Heisman guy yet. Should it be him or should it be Curtis Samuel? What were you doing during that game? Were you surfing porn? What were you doing, man? Yeah. You had no. <laughs> that's that's a really weird suggestion. No, he had a he had a really good game. He'll he'll be on there eventually. But what's wrong with the five I had? I don't. I know. think Donnell Pumphrey deserves some love. He's a leading rusher uh, in the country right now by a considerable margin. He's averaging basically 200 yards. A I game. thought about him, and this is the same pro- same kind of issue I had with Mahomes a little bit. Is who has he done it against that you respect? Well, if you're not going to give him credit for doing it against Cal, then you're going to have... Cal stinks. I know, but then if you're not going to give him credit for Cal that... Cal stinks on defense. I'm sorry. Cal stinks on defense, actually. They do stink on defense, but, but you know, yeah. so do the half the teams that um, Pat Mahomes is going to play. By the way, Donnell Pumphrey, 199.7 yards a game. Next closest is Lamar Jackson, 154.7. Your next running back is Aaron Jones of UTEP, 146.3, followed by McCaffrey. At 145.5. I mean, he's not going to win the Heisman, and he probably won't stay in my top five for long, but I feel like he deserves it for now. And then JT Barrett will will work himself in at some point, I'm sure. What about Peppers? We both added him in this week. Huge game all all over in in every uh, facet, Uh, not just defensively. Obviously, returned a punt for a touchdown. It's interesting because, you know, the name that will immediately come up is the last defensive player to win it. Charles Woodson, but Charles Woodson was just was a cornerback, a great cover cornerback, and and we have seen lots of cornerbacks, you know, fast cornerbacks who can return kicks. This is a really unusual situation to have a, a Jabril Preppers who's like blitzing. Well, he's everything. He's a linebacker. He's a safety. He can blitz. He can defend the run. He can defend the pass, and he can break a, a punt for a touchdown. It's a it's an interesting kind of hybrid that I don't think we've seen very much of. No, I mean, I wrote about this over the weekend that the idea that you can lead the country in tackles for loss and in punt return yardage is pretty mind-boggling. I didn't realize that was the case, although that means that I skimmed over that part of your column, and I apologize. Skimmed or didn't read? No, I read your column. Well, I certainly read the Louisville part. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Can I give you a— He leads the country with 9.5 tackles for loss. Uh, well, Kevontae Turpin leads the country in punt returns. No, he has in punt return yardage, most yardage. Yes, Jabril Preppers leads with 173 yards on eight punt returns. I mean, what would it take for, you know, it, it's so hard for a guy, to, for a non-quarterback or running back to win it, but what would it take for a, he's listed here as a linebacker. I'm going to tell you, yeah. Stu. How, what would I it take? It would take this, start with this. Ohio State keeps winning, Michigan State keeps winning, and Jabril Peppers. He doesn't need to do what he did against CU, but he has a couple of big punt returns and a bunch of negative play, negative yardage plays against Ohio State, and they derail that offense and win that game on the road. I think Jabril Peppers, much like Charles Woodson, got a big lift off that matchup uh, you know, in his day. I think that, that could, could trigger it. Now, he's going to need some help. You know, if Lamar Jackson keeps doing what Lamar Jackson's doing, and it is really early, and you know, with a nod to Denard Robinson and Geno Smith, and you know, a bunch of other guys who never ended, even Leonard Fournette last year. Well, it's early. yeah, it's it's 
the worst it's thing possible Stu. It, it the is, worst I, thing in lamar jackson's case the worst thing you can do is be the runaway heisman winner in september i mean because they're just waiting for an opportunity to the first time you have a bad game and maybe that'll be a clemson in two weeks well, the worst thing you can do is lose two games. No one's going to be talking about Baker Mayfield or the feature I did on him a couple weeks ago. That's even if you lose one game, I remember the year before Mariota won the Heisman, he was, I don't remember if he was considered number one. I think Winston was, but he was right up there. And he had that awful game against uh, Stanford on a Thursday night where they shut him down, and he, I think he got hurt. And he didn't, in the end of the season, he didn't even appear in the top ten. Like, your best formula to win the Heisman is to definitely surge late, not early. Um, I agree with you about Peppers. Let me ask you something. You've been a Heisman voter a long time, like myself. Have you ever voted a defensive player number one? No, I voted them number two. Let me. I'm trying to remember. There was who won it the year Sue had the massive year that yeah. he did. Mark Ingram won it. I I voted Sue number one that year. I might have voted Sue. I know I voted. Honey Badger number two one year. You did? Uh, I did. Well, I was thinking about this because I anticipated bringing this up. And I can't remember if I had him on there or not. I think I did. But if you had him too, that means you had either RG3, who won it that year, or Andrew Luck, who was the presumptive favorite all season long three. I think I had Honey Badger. I know I had Honey Badger number two. So you had Luck three? I believe so. Sorry, Oliver. How do you how do you um, feel about that today? I feel fine. Okay. Honey Badger was fantastic <laughs> yeah, he's really good player. No, no question about that. Um, in I, fact, I also had Manti Teo number two uh, in 2012. I did. I don't. I did not have. Oh, well, I don't know who would I have had two that year because I mean, it was the finalist that it year. Was, I know K State. No, it wasn't him. Colin Klein. I did. Yeah. I had. I actually remember my ballot that year. It was uh, Manzel, Teo, Marquise Lee. Marquise yeah. Lee had an enormous season. I don't know why he didn't get invited. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, I'm not trying to – I'm not saying that Peppers is Honey Badger-like in the way he play him, but in terms of coming from all angles, just being this X-Factor guy, Don Brown's very good at showcasing a guy like that or, or utilizing him, to say the least. But he and, and both guys were big factors in the return game. The part that's different is Peppers is getting touches, in, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball as well. I mean, and he's a bigger dude. He's 210 pounds and, and, you know, probably has more straight ahead, straightaway speed than, than, than Matthew do did does. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see and track it. Um, look, I think I don't want to jump too far ahead. And I also don't want to discredit Michigan state who had a big win the other week, the other day. But, um, I think the Ohio state Michigan game this year could be just massive. Can you imagine if they both go in there with basically the division and then possibly the conference on playoff bid on the line for both teams? Can't wait. Cannot wait. I mean, Michigan State fans are going to be furious for me making it seem like that. Maybe, you know, that, I mean, Michigan State plays. Michigan State will probably beat them that. both. Yeah, probably. I mean, give Michigan State. Now, I, it is starting to, you know how this works, right? You know, as a team starts to unravel. You, you, if a team beats another team, then that team starts to unravel. I mean, Notre Dame's going south in a hurry. That defense is terrible. But Michigan State was up 36-7 to on them on the road in a game where I believe Notre Dame was a touchdown favorite, if I'm not mistaken. I think I remember that from the point spreads. Mm-hmm. Now, they then almost blew it. I mean, Notre Dame mounted a furious comeback. But at the end of the day, if you had any doubts about, and I did, about them kind of continuing, Mark D'Antonio continuing his uh, standard. They ran the ball at will, and and I think the most impressive thing, I mean, Notre Dame's got good running backs, and they completely shut them down. Yeah. Uh, they have Michigan State, and a couple of things. I'm with you on this. Uh, Michigan State, despite losing Jack Conklin and Jack Allen, two of the best linemen in the country last year, averaged five yards a carry against Notre Dame. That you know, that's saying something. Then that's twice as much of what Notre Dame average. I talked to one of the Michigan state coaches on Sunday who just really talked about how big of a, how big of a player John Reschke has, has emerged for them. He's a guy, a lot of people don't know about. He was all over the field against Notre Dame and Michigan state's linebackers could play with anybody. I mean, I know Alabama has 
has big physical guys who also rush the passer. But now that Michigan State's getting Ed Davis back, and they only worked him in, he only had, uh, according to Mark Snyder, their their linebacker coach only got in on two plays over the weekend. But you know he's going to get a lot more uh, work as he gets closer to playing shape. So. Don't underestimate the Spartans. They got the most disruptive defensive lineman in the conference, maybe in the country, and Malik McDowell, certainly of a, of a big guy. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a wild year in the Big t- Big Ten East, which leads me to ask you, is that clearly the best conference in college football now? It's funny you say that because I was sitting here thinking about how we're 40 minutes into the podcast, and I don't think we've talked about the SEC at all. Um does, does, does waxing about Honey Badger's Heisman stuff? No, it doesn't no. count. Um, you know, that was basically the theme of my Monday morning column, which has a new name that I'm very proud of, based on what we talked about earlier in the podcast of the Cal-Texas ending. The next day, it just dawned on me, what would be the what would be a good name for a weekend recap Monday well, morning column? Well, let's hear it. You're saying you haven't read it then? I've been online with you the whole time. It went okay. up hours ago. I had to I had to take the kids into daycare. It's Monday morning, time for immediate recovery. Wait, that's it? Time for immediate recovery? Well, it's called immediate recovery. Who thought this up? Are you you're the first person that's been like, wait, what? I you know what this I feel like um you remember when uh everybody gathered around in California to find out what the playoff is going to be called. And then we broke the news to Joe Castiglione, the AD, and he was like, really? That's the fucking name? <laughs> he did not. <laughs> he didn't use the F did, word. I'm don't sorry. defame Joe Castiglione. Sorry, like Joe. But they, I, I, honest to God, his reaction was like, you kidding me? That's the best they could do? Come on. I had never even heard of an, uh, uh, about whether or not a fumble, whether immediate recovery is a factor. So, so that is a new lingo, kind of like body clocks. As a new part of the college football lexicon, and is now the name of the Monday morning okay. column. So maybe we should get a little bit of feedback from our listeners. Who thinks Stu's column title? Is I think a good it's a name? big upgrade from forward pass. No, you know, as much as I enjoyed that, um, the Big Ten has had, you know, the best non-conference season of any conference. They're eight and three against Power Five. Nobody else is above five hundred. They have an eight hundred winning percentage against FBS. SEC is at about seven hundred. Does that mean it's the best conference in college football? Here's the one. I mean, they're clearly no less than number two. And I think the most incriminating thing about the SEC right now is that there could be two ex-Purdue quarterbacks starting in the SEC this week because of Luke Del Rio's injury at Florida. Austin Appleby might get the start against Tennessee. Danny Etling's now LSU's quarterback. And those are two guys who couldn't hold on to the job at Purdue. But here's the question. How do you judge the Big Ten, who's having a great year at the top, throw Wisconsin in there, throw Nebraska beating Oregon? I actually, every time I tweet about this, people are like, but Iowa lost to an FCS team. To me, Iowa losing to North Dakota State is not much different than losing to, like, NC State. Just like a middle of the pack. I think think North Dakota State would wallop NC State. I think to me that's you lost to like a top 40 team. It's not I know that there has the FCS stigma, but come on. If you don't realize how good North Dakota State is at this point, I can't help you. Um, How do you but how do you overlook that? Northwestern Rutgers Maryland, although Can we just stick to the Big Ten East before you start picking in the drugs. Well, then look at the Big Ten East. You've got you've got three great great teams. You've got Penn State, who's I don't know how you would describe them right now, kind of middle of the pack, and then you've got three awful teams, and and the Big Ten West. Maryland, Maryland may be awful, but they're three and zero. They're not turning the ball over. So I don't know how you can. It just depends. If you're judging top of the conference, can I think, we play this game I right think now? They have the best. All right, taking so the top you don't know five teams from any do this. I think they're the best conference. Okay, let's go head to head here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alabama against Ohio State, neutral field. Who are you picking right now? As of this second, I'm picking Ohio State. Wow. You know what? Are you? I think you might be right. No, I mean, I, here's the thing. I had a, uh, was DMing back and forth with with uh, a buddy of mine. And it was like what Ohio State did was more impressive than anything Alabama has done. 
And why, why did they only get four first place votes? And I said, you know, I think a lot of voters and a lot of pollsters of the mind that until Alabama loses, because they have such, such benefit of the doubt and such credibility from what they've done over the past few years, that voters are just kind of think they're untouchable. I don't think they're untouchable, but I did. No, I think they are in terms of until they lose. Yeah, they're you know, it's like the 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 ranking start at number two. Having said that, I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but I have a lot more confidence in JT Barrett at this point than I do in Jalen Hurts. I kept Alabama number one this week because I believe any road win in your conference, especially against a decent team, I don't care how ugly it is. Winning on the road is hard. And I don't like penalizing a team after they. Okay, but the you road. said you you kept them there as if aren't we supposed to start over each week? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I'm a big hypocrite. So you're a hypocrite. So, but in so now, on the audible on Monday morning, you're saying Ohio State should be in our number one right now. I'm saying if the two teams played tomorrow in a neutral field, I would pick Ohio State. Okay, so that's one for the Big Ten. Yeah, the number two team in the Big East and I'm Big East, God forbid, in the Big Ten is. Uh, Let's. I was mean, just going by the rankings. It's Michigan. I'm going to say it's Michigan. Okay. I, I so actually Mich- think. Yeah. Okay. It's Michigan. Let's go okay. with that. So Michigan. But I don't know against, who the second best team in the SEC is. I guess A M or Arkansas. Right A and M. Let's just try to stick to the rankings here as much as possible, even though they're probably wrong. A and M against Michigan. Michigan. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I would take Michigan. Michigan State against Arkansas. Michigan State. So now we're three and zero here. I'm not disagreeing with you yet. Uh, number four, LSU against Penn State. Um, that's a tough one. I think I'm taking LSU. Okay, I'm taking LSU because they have a lot better athletes on defense. Uh, so it's three to one. I think you got now. I think you got to bring up. Wait a minute, you can't. Are we only doing Big Ten East? Or are we doing the whole conference? No, we're only doing Big Ten East against SEC West. Oh. I did not realize that. Okay, so Tennessee is not part of this equation. No. Okay. Right. Well, all right. So it's three to one. This is where I think the, the SEC takes this, over. Yeah. This is where it's going to be. This is where it's going to swing. Okay. So now Maryland against Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Uh, Indiana against Mississippi State. Yep. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Auburn, Rutgers, Clearly and Auburn. you have it on the, base, the basis of the second half of the SEC. SEC wins four to three. So I mean that's that's where that's where I say no. You can't say the Big Ten's the best conference yet because they just have too many bad teams at the bottom. I mean I'll take their top five over anybody else's top five, but there's too many. And then if you were to you know that's four. If you were to play, I'm sure if we played it out in the other division, there'd be as bad as the SEC East is. We'd have some some. Uh, We'd have some. I don't even want to think about like who would win a Purdue uh, Vanderbilt game. I mean, ugh, but yeah. So yeah, let's not they're close. Um, the point is, for years and years, and I wrote about this in the column. Uh, I mean, you know, you remember the era that started with the Florida Ohio State national title game. The Big Ten is so slow. The Big Ten is so far behind. You know, the gap keeps growing, and that narrative played out for probably seven years. Right now, in 2016, I don't think there's much separating them. Hmm. Well, they've invested in some some high-level coaches, and that part is paying off. Right. Uh, just we mentioned Penn State a minute ago. How uncomfortable were you about what Penn State did honoring Joe Paterno in 409? Very, very uncomfortable. And And remember, I'm... I'm probably considered a moderate on all this stuff. I am not one of the, you know, fiery hot take people when it comes to the Penn State stuff simply because I don't I, – it's a very, very complicated matter with Paterno. You know, he is uh, – he takes a lot of blame, and I believe justifiably so, for inaction that enabled just an absolutely, I mean, unthinkably awful series of crimes – Gosh, I can already tell the emails we're going to get from the Joe, Pot, Joe bots now. Um, but he's still – all the other stuff still happened. And so I think there's people out there that want – non-Penn State people want Penn State people to 
they think, it, you know, how can you possibly continue to revere this guy? Um, you have to forget the pre the forty years of not just winning games, but you know, lots of great players came out of there. The academics, all that stuff. I don't. I think they both exist, but I do think it's way too soon to be honoring him like that. And I think the fact that that the celebration was itself, you know, from what we read, you know, he got cheer. There were cheers and there were protests. I mean, I think it says something that the school had to like, you know, bury it in a press release. And oh, by the way, we're going to honor Joe Paterno's fiftieth game. And, you know, like. If if you feel like you have to like you're embarrassed to announce that you're doing this, you probably shouldn't be doing it. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I I just think that for the people who for the people who do want to honor Joe Paterno and his career, and there was a lot of great things he did do at Penn State, especially off the field and the money he raised and the library and all and you know a lot of those things. I mean, his legacy is very complicated, but I thought that this wasn't the right setting to do it because for the people who, you know, who, who did feel like this was, should never have happened. Um, I feel like it was a big slap in their face. I think not to defend it, but I think that, you know, people on the outside are so baffled, but like, if you're a 60 year old Penn state fan, Joe Paterno was a part of your life, you know, basically your whole life. Um, they revered the guy. Their Saturdays revolved around him. And it just, it's very, very hard for them to accept that his legacy is tarnished. And, uh, and they want to honor him. They want the statue back. And it's just, it's, uh, to the rest of us, it just seems tone deaf and insensitive. But there is a part of me that understands what's happening. But at the same time, there are two very interesting stories about this. One, I don't know how to say her last name, Juliet McCure. The New York I Times so, yeah. went there, interviewed students. Now, Penn State students, not, you know, we're at the point where there are no Penn State students, I guess, unless you're like a John Belushi and Animal House type. I mean, if you're a fourth year, you're a senior Penn State student, you know, the Joe Paterno era was before you. And so for a lot of these students, it's not even um, a question. Like, why would they be honoring this guy? And then, so the the sports editor, I think, of the paper wrote a column basically saying that and got just, you know, vitriol and hate mail from those older Penn State fans I'm talking about. So there's clearly a generational divide there. And then the one that just, like, hits you over the head. You read Mike Wise's story? I did, yeah. Mike Wise is a fantastic, fantastic journalist. He was with the Washington Post for a long time. Uh, He's now at the undefeated ESPN site. And for the first time ever, revealed in what I thought was an amazing column that he himself um, was a victim of sexual abuse by a uncle and describes that in vivid detail as a way of making the point that who is Penn State to say enough time has passed to honor Joe Paterno? That should be up to the victims. And when you read something like that, it really puts it in perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I I started reading it, and you know, I know Mike a little. We used to play basketball with him. It just was a, it was a very sobering column. It really was, in in that sense. I, I saw, you know, there's a bunch of uh, reporters who had gone to the Temple game, and I remember seeing David Jones, who's I think is a really terrific writer who covers Penn State, uh, showed a picture of a of a banner that some Temple fans, uh, you know, said. Joe turned his back on, you know, I'm trying to remember how it was where Joe turned his back on kids and this is us turning our back on, you know, this event or whatever, or the way they're honoring him. Yeah, that's well put. Um, you know, on a similar, I don't even want to say similar. So I, the same reason I'm upset about that is the same is the same reason why when the Rice Band did their thing the other night, um, making fun of Baylor for the for Baylor's sexual assault scandal. You saw that, right? The, I did. The Rice Band um, spelled out one X as in Title Nine and a star as in Ken Star. I mean, to me, it was. It, this was not like a uh, you know oh a harmless thing. like this was blatantly distasteful to me. And then and I said as much, and of course you get back because there's no nuance on Twitter. Uh, so apparently you you think it's okay to you know uh, have players rape 
people and da 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 da. You're if you if you to dare to say that, then you must be protecting. You're one of the ones trying to protect Baylor. Of course, that's not true. I just think you should never do. You should never. There is nothing to be laughed about. There is no laughing matter about um, sexual assault, and it's for exactly what we were talking about with Mike Wise. People forget there are actual victims whose lives were ruined, and they don't need the Bryce Band making a statement for them, you know, uh, in a in a mocking halftime skit. Just like survivors like Mike Wise don't need, you know, people who have never gone through what he gone through to say. Uh, no, it's fine to honor him. You know, he did all these great things, you know, regardless of that other thing that happened. Aren't you being a little bit politically correct then? What do you mean? I don't know. I, my my think on this, and I agree with where you're coming from. I do. I thought it was distasteful, especially the Title IX, you know, uh, formation they spelled out. You know, as I was listening to you, it dawned on me, though, you know, I'm sure there are comedians who make Bill Cosby jokes. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of times I think where things you talk about no nuance, there are comedians and there are, you know, really successful comedians who can engage in this and it's okay and people laugh at it. Um, but I think there is a difference between that and everyday people. And I don't know if this is fair or unfair, but it's a reality where, you know, just, you know, common people, I don't think can say the same things and it be taken in the same context. Do you follow me? Yeah, well, I do. And there's no, I mean, I've seen stories about how comedians are getting increasingly fed up with the political correctness. Like they feel like they have to censor themselves. They can't make uh, I mean, go back and watch a George Carlin sketch or a, a Richard Pryor sketch from back in the day. Like, um, you could say anything. And now, if you, you know, there have been things that have gone viral and people shaming comedians. Comedy is generally considered, especially stand-up comedy, an arena where anything is fair game. We're talking, I don't think this is the same thing. We're talking about a college football game, a marching band. And I know the Rice Band is kind of like the Stanford Band and whatnot, but... Um, not that there's a rivalry between Rice and Baylor, but it's two Texas schools, one poking fun of the other. I just – I don't think that's the same thing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I, I just think it's a, it's a delicate area that a lot of times gets trampled upon, to be honest. Right. This is now marks the second straight podcast where – because last time I had to end it on your 9-11 story. So now <laughs> it's just increasingly hard to end these podcasts on a positive note. Um, if you enjoy the audible, you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And of course, in our next podcast, it'll be mailbag time. So hit it, Rob Stone. It's the mailbag from a computer. So not literally a bag, but just mail. Gosh, that thing is hilarious, by the way. I could listen to that a million times. Yeah, I think this is going to go on and and trump the Rob Stone pepper eating uh, video as the biggest thing in his career that he's ever done. I was on the same flight, connecting flight for me, not for them, from LAX to Oklahoma City. Him and uh, Matt Liner were on it, and so we had a little. Uh, are people stop? Do people stop them at the gate? Do they stop Matt at least? I didn't see anybody recognize Matt. I went to dinner with a bunch of those guys the night before the game, and Robert Smith was there. Remember, there's Ohio State fans. I mean, those Ohio State fans turned out like, I don't know what the number would be, but they were everywhere. And so Ohio State fans were constantly coming by the table and doing OH to, to Robert. Um, there was very slow service at that restaurant that night. Like, we were there for hours. And it dawned on me, I'm sitting at a table with a guy who beat their beloved Sooners 55-19 in the national championship game. They're probably back there going like, oh, he can wait. Yeah, but <laughs> he can, he can wait a longer. food. Probably. I, I hope he's okay. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, I was just going to say that you know, we were when we landed in Oklahoma City and we were um, heading toward the baggage claim, there was a, a jazz musician playing live music right in the middle of the terminal, and Rob was jamming out to it. Um, so, yes, if you – boy, this has gone off the rails. Mailbag. 
That's right. Rob's mailbag jingle. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll be answering those in our next podcast. Oh, Stu, I should ask you before we, before we end this mercifully. Um, we are going to do another version of our Facebook Live show this coming Saturday night. That's correct. We weren't able to do one. This, the Oklahoma-Ohio State weather delay affected a lot of things, and that was one of them. But I will be back in studio, um, and you'll be back on the road. Where are you headed this week? I will be in Corvallis, Oregon um, for the Boise State-Oregon State game. I will be on the right time zone for this, so it should be good. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.